Thank you so much for joining us for this week's message from Real Life Community, where we talk about connecting with God and others, growing in Christ-likeness, and sharing God's life with the world. My name is Sarah Comer, and I serve each week as Connections Pastor, making sure that you know that there is a God and a community that loves you and wants to go through the seasons of life with you. You can find us at reallifecommunity.org, and we would love to meet you on Facebook or Instagram. Until then, we hope this message meets you right where you are and helps you know just how deep the Father's love is for you. One of my favorite Sundays or services of the year is a Christmas Eve service. And I know that many of you travel to see family and may not even be here, but I hope that if you are in town on Christmas Eve that you will make it a point to be here at five o'clock for that service. It is one of the sweetest times that we have together as the church, and I hope that, um, that you'll be able to be a part of that with us. We've, our, our other churches in, in the borough are coming together for that service, and it's just gonna be a sweet time of worship and of remembering our Savior and of giving wholeheartedly to the mission that we have been giving to this month to bless people. It's such a great way to start. I know some of you have been celebrating Christmas really since Thanksgiving, because that's when your family Christmases start. But for the actual Christmas event, what a great way to start it than with your family together celebrating the birth of Jesus with your church family and with your family. So if your family's coming in, just say, hey, we're gonna go take one hour five to six on Christmas Eve. We're gonna be done in an hour, we promise. So we're, we hope that you'll come and be a part of that. Let's talk this morning about good news to the poor. If you'll open your Bibles to Matthew 11, two through 11, we're gonna read this morning. I'm reading from the NIV. Let's read, it says, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on the account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, John began to, or Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? Man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. This is the word of the Lord for God's people, and we all say together. Thank you, Jesus. So there's a saying, the more you know, the more you know you don't know. Amen, right? It speaks to our arrogance as humans. 
We often believe in very specific and black and white ways. This is how it is. We do this about a lot of things, and while we blame the arrogance of youth, let's be real, adults were not exempt from this. How we think life is going to go is rarely how it goes. Yes. I thought about this, I was thinking about marriage, and I remember thinking, um, I knew a lot about marriage from watching my mom and dad's marriage and other people's marriage from church, and so I went into marriage thinking I knew about marriage. (coughs) Silly girl. I remember thinking, um, you know, white picket fence, a dog, three kids. Well, I have the dog and three kids. Um, But I I also remember thinking that my wedding day was going to be this magical day where I was suddenly going to be transformed into a hallmark bride. And I was going to have this magical feeling of being a bride. But I remember sitting in the limousine on the way to the hotel, and I looked at Jeremy and I said, I don't feel married. Like right now, you're my boyfriend sitting next to me in a seat. I have a ring on and a paper that says we're married, but there's no sudden transformation that makes me a bride. I know there's those amazing feelings. It was an, don't let me get, don't make it sound bad. Our wedding day was amazing. But it wasn't some, I had these expectations of how I was going to feel, and I didn't necessarily feel that way. And so I just think about expectations that we have of things. And what we think is going to happen isn't always what happens. And then, you know, comes life after you're married. And we have gone through some tragedies together. We have gone through some struggles together. We've seen the worst in each other and the best in each other. And yet, life didn't go exactly like we thought it was going to. Those things happen in our marriages. Raise your hand. Who can attest to that? Life didn't go exactly as you thought it was going to go. What I want you to do right now, I have some people that are going to come around and hand something out, but I want you to take just a minute. We're going to maybe turn the lights up just a little bit here, and I want you to turn to the people next to you. I want you to share a story of expectation that you had where it didn't happen like you thought it was going to. Take just a couple minutes and do that. By the sounds of it, there are a lot of expectations that maybe weren't what we thought. We, what we believe about certain people is sometimes proven wrong when we actually get to know that person. How many of you in here can say, I have a friend today that when I first met them, I thought, there's no way I'm going to be friends with them. Yeah. Jeremy and I talk about this. One of the girls in our wedding, Jeremy was like, Like, there's no way I'm going to be friends with her. She is stuck up. And yet, when we got to know her, she was the sweetest girl we knew. Love her to pieces, still friends with her today. So sometimes our expectations are proven wrong when we actually get to know somebody. Even some of our deeply held beliefs are shaken when we're confronted with tragedy or when someone we love walks a different road. Unmet expectations can lead to shaky ground. It can mess with our equilibrium. How can what we believe to be true possibly be wrong? But I know this. How can this be wrong? Have you ever been there? Had something maybe confront your expectations or your belief system so drastically that you began to wonder what's true? 
right, here I go again. I'm going to owe Reagan lunch for this one. It's our deal. If you weren't here the first Sunday I preached, if we talk about our kids before asking permission, we owe them lunch. So Reagan and I have had conversations over the last couple of years about friends of hers, or even her struggles a little bit, but friends of hers who began to wrestle with their expectations of what it was like to be a college student, or what it was like to, when you go to college, it's about learning who you are and learning what your faith is and not just what your mom and dad told you it was going to be or how it was supposed to be. You have these expectations because of how you're taught and when you become an adult and you kind of, you leave home, it's, you have to learn how to, um, what's what? But what if what I believed isn't what is supposed to be? This is um, where John is in our text today. He had these ideas about the whom, who the Messiah was, who Jesus was, and what Jesus was going to do. He expected radical judgment for all of those who weren't following God or who were oppressing God's people. We can see this clearly prior to Jesus' baptism when John references an axe at the root of the trees and says that the trees that don't bear fruit will be thrown into the fire. John was waiting for the axe to fall. I can just picture John standing there thinking about this, like arms crossed or hands on his hips, looking at the people that he thinks that, that the Messiah is coming to, to condemn. And he's looking at them and he's looking at Jesus and he's, and he's thinking, okay, do your thing. Go, go get him. And then he's looking at them like, here he comes. He's coming to get you. In his mind, he has this expectation, expectation of how things are going to be. You're going to get what you deserve, he's thinking. Yet here's John in prison. Instead of watching his enemies fall by an axe, he's waiting the axe of his own. He doubts and he wonders, have I been wrong? If he's not doing what I thought he was going to do, is he still the Messiah? Hmm. John was the first one to recognize the Messiah. He was still in the womb when it happened. And now here he is wondering, is this the Messiah? If the Messiah didn't look the way John thought he would, was he still the Messiah? If Christ isn't working in your life, in the world today, the way you thought he was supposed to, is he still the Messiah? What John thought about Jesus wasn't what Jesus did. Most of the Jews thought that Jesus was going to do more and judge more and, and rule more. People were expecting a political king. Herod is an example of that. Herod killed his own family for, for a position. Um, he threatened, he was so threatened by the new king that he, he puts out this decree to kill all of the babies under two, all of the boys under two. Because he was worried that the Messiah was coming for political rule. Really, what he was worried about is that the Messiah was coming for his place. And look at the lengths that he went to because he was so threatened. What his expectations were wasn't what was happening. John's in prison on death row, probably wondering, you know, he, here he's sitting, I'm a faithful servant of, of, of the Lord, and is he the Messiah? Because I'm going to die. He's hearing about who Jesus is while he's in prison and of all of the grace-filled works that Jesus is doing. And he's wondering, I don't understand this. This isn't an uprising. This isn't the laying down the law that I expected it to be. 
Let's take a, look, a closer look at Matthew. After Jesus' baptism and temptation in the wilderness are these incredible acts of mercy and healing. Okay, John's expecting laying down the law, and what he's getting is acts of mercy, acts of healing, acts of forgiveness. This is the location of the Beatitudes. Instead of preaching about an uprising, Jesus' words are about loving your enemies, about being meek and humble and generous. Jesus emphasizes that the peacemakers are the children of God and that the persecuted are blessed. He's not criticizing those in power. His words are for those who are listening. He's reworking, they're changing the view of the law and what the kingdom of heaven is. Their expectation of, of the kingdom of heaven come was the rule and the law, but that's not what it was. That's what, it wasn't what he came to do. It wasn't about political gain, but about the deep heart change that happens in the lives of others in real ways. He came because he wanted people to understand loving God fully. And what else? To love your neighbor as yourself. Loving God and loving others. That's what he came, that's what the kingdom of heaven was. All that John was hearing about is the miracles of Jesus and the radical preaching, and not about how everyone thought that the Messiah was going to behave. Now Jesus reminds John of the acts of mercy, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are healed, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Jesus views these acts of mercy, what he did is proof of who he is. He sees this as proof that he is the Messiah. He's redefining the kingdom of heaven for John and for all of us. It's not about political gain. It's about mercy and healing and wholeness. You know, God could have come and laid down the law, but I'm so thankful he didn't. I'm so thankful he was a God who preached wholeness and healing. Jesus gives another beatitude. <laughs> Blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. You know, there has to be a moment of, of John hearing that like, ooh. You know, he's questioning if he's offended at what Jesus is doing, and, and Jesus says, blessed is anyone who doesn't take offense at me. What Jesus is doing is radical and offensive in the eyes of a lot of people. Some are going to be offended by Jesus' words. How many of you have ever experienced that? someone being offended by the words of Jesus. This is counter to what people thought was going to happen. So now Jesus talks to the crowd. The people think that they're looking for political help, but that's really not the heart of the matter. It's not what they need. They entered the wilderness because that's where revelation from God has happened for the people. The Exodus is an example of this. The prophets are often found in the wilderness. We were talking about this in staff meeting this week about um, these moments in the wilderness. How many times do we read about the wilderness um, in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament as Jesus finds himself in the wilderness? Guys, great things happened in the wilderness. But it didn't mean that the wilderness was a fun place to be. I think we need to remember that in our own lives. 
They find a prophet, not a king. Prophets speak truth to power, whereas kings benefit from the power. Prophets challenge the status quo, whereas kings create the status quo through control. If they weren't looking for a king in the wilderness, then why were they looking for a king in Jesus? The system's gonna be challenged, but not in the ways of the world. Just like the prophets challenge the systems in different ways. So I want us to think about this this morning. Our search for the Messiah today, for who, who Jesus is in our lives, isn't really all that different from the people that were around John during this time. We often expect the way that God is going to move in the ways that we want him to. We sometimes may ask God for money and fame and, and wealth and health and all of these things. We expect, hey God, I want you to give me this. God, I want you to do this. And I, I just wonder, what if God's blessings mo- look more like the Beatitudes than they do wealth or health or a home or a place? What if, it's, what if God's blessings is more what's going on in our heart What if it's not that God isn't trying to bless us while he blesses others, but what if our perspective is wrong? What if our eyesight is cloudy because we're not looking at it right? Sometimes we can be jealous of the things that others receive, but maybe it's our perspective that needs to change and not the way that God's blessing. We question where God is in the midst of tragedy What if God is trying to show us that in the midst of that tragedy, that he is right by our side grieving with us? One of the hardest things that I've walked through in my life is the death of my dad. I could have been angry at God for taking my dad. But God reminded me every step of the way that he was right by my side walking through that with me. And he put people around me to hold me up when I couldn't stand up on my own. I had expectations of what I wanted God to do. We received the notice that my dad had six months to live. Up until about a month before he died, I kept saying, he's gonna live, he's gonna live. Guess what? I remember I stood at his funeral and I said, I had these expectations that my dad would live and guess what, he lives. It's just not how I thought it was gonna happen. He lives whole and healthy without the things that dragged him down. So sometimes God walks through our tragedies with us. We often view God as on our side of a political opinion. (laughs) What if instead God's asking us to reframe our thinking, not around a political system, but around the kingdom of God? That's a change at the way we look at politics, isn't it? We need a little more of that. (laughs) What if we're looking at political, if we look at political power while God's asking us to change our hearts and care for our neighbors? When we look for a very specific type of Jesus, we begin to question if he's actually the Messiah that he says he is. When we put him in a box and say, this is what you are, 
He's like, uh-uh, take me out of that box. We need to be looking at acts of mercy in the ways that we find people restored and freed, in generosity and love towards our neighbors, in places where resurrection is happening. You know, we've got these three different things that we're giving to for Christmas. All three of these things are ways that God is breaking out of the mold and doing things through these people. Why wouldn't we give generously to those things to see God move beyond our own hands and our own finances? What does your wilderness look like today? As you're feeling lost, in your, maybe you're feeling lost in your wilderness, and this is what I talked with the staff about. There are a lot of times where we're in the wilderness and we just feel like there is no way out. Like the Israelites who wandered for years because they didn't get it. Are you in a wilderness today? Maybe you're in a wilderness in your finances. Maybe it's a wilderness of health. Maybe your marriage is in a state of wilderness. I don't know what your wilderness is today, but are you questioning if God is still the Messiah because he's not working the way that you think that he should in your wilderness? But what if, what if, in the midst of your wilderness, God says, I want to do a work through you right here. I brought you through this wilderness, whether he, create, whether he brought you there or whether life brought you there, because it's, it's sometimes both. But God wants to work through us in our wilderness. God's right by our side. He hasn't abandoned us. And what if he wants to teach us something through our wilderness? I know there have been wildernesses in our marriage and in our life and in our ministry and we have wondered in the midst of that wilderness, God, what are you doing? God, why are we walking through this? And Jeremy would stand up here and tell you, coming out on the other side of that wilderness, we can go, man, that was not fun. That stunk to walk through that. But guess what? God is good. And we've come out on the other side of that wilderness, able to stand up here before you today and say, I don't know what your wilderness is, but when you come out on the other side, God is still good. He is still the Messiah. So I don't know what your wilderness is today, but God wants to work through you in your wilderness. Advent is about expectation. What are your expectations? How can we repent of the ways that we have constructed a certain view of who Jesus is? How can we ask for eyes to see our situations and see Jesus for who he really is and who he's calling us to be? How can we remove some of the distractions in our lives so that these acts of mercy and grace, that we see them not as a disappointment, but as true fulfillment of the Messiah? in our midst. This morning you got a little piece of paper and I want you to pull that piece of paper out, find a pen from around you, steal a neighbor's pen, share with each other if you don't have one, but this is what we're gonna do. I'm gonna play a video for you in just a minute. We got to talking about this um, expectations and a very dear friend of mine passed away a couple of years ago and at his funeral this song was played and while it was played, I got to thinking, wow, 
That's all I'm going to say about that video because you're going to see it in just a second. But it fits so well with expectations today and with wilderness moments. So while this is playing, I want you to watch it. And then I'm going to give you some instructions for what to do after it. Go ahead. They say sometimes you win some, sometimes you lose some. And right now, right now I'm losing back. I've stood on this stage night after night, reminding the broken it'll be alright. But right now, It's easy to sink when there's nothing to bring me down But what will I say when I'm held to the flame like I am right now? Say it only takes a little faith to move a mountain. Well, good thing a little faith is all I have right now. God, when you choose to leave mountains unmovable, oh, give me the strength to be.
God didn't move the mountain of my dad dying, but he gave me the strength in the midst of it to say it is well. You have a little piece of paper, and I want you to do this this morning as, as we have music in the background, and I want you to write on there, what is that thing that you're expecting God to do? That maybe you need to lay down and say, God, this is what I expect, but if this isn't what you wanna do, I'm gonna give it to you this morning. God, this is my expectations of how you're gonna deal with this situation of my life, how you're gonna work in my body, how you're gonna work in my marriage, how you're gonna work in my child who's walked away from you. God, this is my expectation, but I'm gonna lay it down before you this morning and say, what is your expectation? What do you wanna do? And God, whatever you choose to do, even if it's not what my expectation is on this piece of paper, you are still good and you are still the Messiah, and I will still worship you. Take a minute this morning, write that down, and I want you to bring it up, and this is our Advent candle where we talked about hope and joy. And this morning, I want you to lay your expectations down at this altar and say, God, I'm laying it down before you today. <laughs>